From Washington, this is the Macrocast, a podcast brought to you by Penta and Markets Policy Partners. You're listening to the Macrocast, uh, part of the Penta group of, of uh, podcasts, along with uh, Markets Policy Partners, our friends, uh, John Fagan and Brendan Walsh. I'm Tony Fratto. We also have John Dick with us uh, today, as we do at least monthly uh, from civic science uh, to talk about how things are, how the consumers are doing, how people are thinking about um, things that we're, we're getting into that um, really important part of the retail market, which we definitely, we always like to hear from John uh, looking ahead to the, the holiday shopping season seasons. I think it's not even one season. It's like multiple micro seasons uh, in a lot of, a lot of ways. So we definitely want to do that. We got some, um, we got some important, uh news this week on you know you know backward looking read on the economy uh on on gdp uh which had some uh interesting you know takes on where you know where people think things are i would just call it just generally sort of steady you know steady as she goes confirming uh or or eliminating some of the worst fears on uh, where people thought uh uh the you know that uh, growth is right now uh, not at all completely taking them taking them away um but um but you know it didn't, doesn't look like the bottom is falling out of the US economy uh we got you know prices today we got some information on uh the employment cost index core pce so we're going to dive into uh, all of those things and i guess we can't mark this date without noting that you know now um Elon Musk owns twitter also so that long saga one long saga is over. A new long saga in the Twitter world is about to begin. Uh, so uh, let's get into it, guys. Uh, let's start with GDP. You know, it was uh, you know a lot the, the the you know the 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 initial reading on GDP, the way it's been reported and way it was understood is um, the way I pretty much the way I said right. It doesn't look like the bottom's falling out. Not you know obviously uh, very slow growth. Um, but doesn't look like it was confirming a present recession. Um, John, Brendan, what do you guys think? Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I think also because when coming out of the the pandemic, you know, we contracted so much, so then we grew a ton. So we kind of had to normalize a little bit. So I think some of the negative growth rates were really just weird quarter over quarter. And I think yeah. the reality is we're growing somewhere between one to two percent, you know, on an, an annual basis. Um, we have to be very worried though about Phillies winning the World Series because every time they win a World <laughs> Series, we go into a recession. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, <laughs> that I think is. Uh, Philly won't be in a recession, though. You won't be able to get no, a cheap steak no. in that town. Uh, Philly will not be in a recession. But, yeah. but the GDP report really had a little something for everybody, right? If you were worried about growth, you can kind of point to the real final sales to domestic purchasers, which was which was 0.5%, which is pretty, pretty flimsy. Yep. And you can say, well, the big growth was in, you know, stuff that's not really going to last, like net ex, you know, net trade and, uh, you know, inventories government spending that sort of stuff and uh and then of course the uh the optimistic crowd would counter with the uh, with the gdp price index um which is you know now now we're all like 
we're all like forensic scientists for every little nugget of data that speaks to inflation now that the uh, Fed is cherry picking any inflation yeah. data. That, and so this, which, you know, in, under normal circumstances doesn't get a lot of play, really did get uh, a lot of attention. And uh, it was it was considerably better than expected. It was four point one percent versus a five point three percent consensus and nine percent the prior quarter. And so, you know, the uh, the that was that was part of the the positive and sort of Goldilocks reaction to this. We saw on the day a really uh, significant rally in in treasuries uh, on the back of this, which you know wouldn't necessarily follow with a a stronger than expected GDP. You'd expect you know the treasury yield to yield curve to steepen, but you wouldn't expect a big rally across the curve. But that's what we got, and I think that was speaking to the overriding focus on inflation, which you know, is, has been with us for a while now, obviously. Yeah. And today we got the employment cost index, which was when, when Powell kind of made his hawkish uh, pivot, that was one of the, the data points that he cited as, as troubling. And today it came in not particularly troubling. <laughs> and what used to be the Fed's preferred metric of inflation yeah. expectations, the core PCE price index, that came in, I guess, just on the screws with uh, expectations. So nothing, nothing uh, untoward there it was a little bit lower than the prior month. Uh, you know, not a, not, not, you know, mission accomplished banner hanging behind you uh, at the Fed or anything. But, but, you know, uh, I guess not as not as scary or, or upside uh, concerning as we've seen in some of those over the summer inflation readings. As we've talked about, you know, so much of the readings on the inflation, the CPI is the, the the housing component and all of the housing data we've gotten in the last week has been horrifying. Yeah, pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty dramatic, which, you know, look, I mean, if, if we were going to say we we're going to do, uh, you know, significant rate rises, successive, you know, 75 basis point increases in the policy rate, what's where where would that show up first and deepest yeah. housing and that's exactly what we're seeing so yeah. no one should be surprised by that john what uh dick what what are uh what, what are you, what are we seeing from you know the way consumers are are thinking about things well i mean it's like everything else it's kind of a mixed bag almost like mm-hmm. this sort of tale of two stories you've got our economic sentiment index climbed this week um which I sound like surprised by it. Maybe I shouldn't be. But I mean, it's the first upward um, upward reading we've had since I think like late August or so. Um, but underneath that are are two sort of you know again the two stories. First, I mean the the big story I think at least right now is is how resilient the consumer still is from a f- personal finance and spending standpoint. When we ask them about the state of their personal finances, they still feel feel pretty good. That's manifesting itself in continued strong consumer spending. Uh, Bank of America reported that deposits grew one percent, credit card spending's up, um, which is good and bad. Um, certainly good for retailers, I guess, going into the holidays. American Express. Customer spending jumped 21% year over year. Um, now that tends to be a bit more of the upper end of the of the income spectrum, but but that's driving a lot of commerce and retail. So um, yeah, it 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 you, we've got a lot of Americans um, saying that they're living paycheck to paycheck. That number has climbed, um, you know, a good six percentage points from this time last year. But it really feels like the people in that remaining you know, 37% who aren't living paycheck to paycheck are outspending the difference, as it were. Um, so continue to be, you know, um, somewhat optimistic, not bearish or necessarily bullish about holiday retail, but think it should be good to slightly up just in total dollar spend. 
John, do we have a do you have a do you have a sense? I, I, and I, I wish I knew the answer to this. I hope you do. And if not, you know, maybe it's something we talk about next week, or or if you could just see and send it to us. Is um, what is the normal rate for uh, the number of people? Well, sort of the pre-COVID rate of people living paycheck to paycheck. Was, um, I was always kind of around a half. Um, yeah. At least report that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a it's a tricky question to ask because it kind of means different things to different people, quite frankly, right? Yeah. And that depends on sort of what stage you are you you know so called house poor versus right like legitimately worrying about getting your bills paid before they shut your lights off. Um, but it always sort of hovered around you know fifty percent or so. You know, this mm-hmm. time last year we still had a larger percentage of Americans who said they were better off financially than they were before the pandemic than than yeah. people who said they were worse off, and that that has that has sort of flipped a bit. Um, but it's staying relatively steady from where we saw it, like even kind of really flipped sort of like March, April of last year. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, all the banks reported and and they talked about, you know, the relative health of the consumer and the relative healthy balance sheets of, of their customers. Um, they still see them, you know, for the most part, still spending. And, and there's this view, which is the conundrum for central banks in a way is that, you know, they're trying to pressure consumers to do less economic activity, uh, but consumers got into a pretty good habit of doing a lot of economic activity. And as long as they still have money in their savings accounts and increased wages, um, they're, you know, it's, they're going to be, they're, you know, it's, uh, you're, you're diminishing the likelihood that they're going to, you know, slow down their economic activity. Well, but I think that, but that does sort of speak to the two parts of the ESI, right? So the other, the other positive indicator this week is that attitude, um, confidence in new jobs rose a full point again um, after kind of sort of softening there for a little bit. Um, lots of the news that we're hearing about layoffs and hiring freezes in the market tend to be in places like big tech, which get get headlines but don't necessarily represent the totality of the U.S. population. The two numbers that fell, um, neither of which I think should be surprising under the interest rate circumstances, of course, confidence in the housing market fell um, and probably will continue to fall for the foreseeable future. And then the other one is we ask specifically about people making ma- major purchases like a car, large home appliance, and that confidence in that those things fell as well. Why? Mm-hmm. Because there's generally financing required behind those kinds of things. And people are either concerned about or spooked about future interest rate implications. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's all just sort of the, and I think some of these levers that that the that people are pulling to sort of manage our way through this seem to be having an unsurprising impact on that. But yeah, it has not yet seemed to have hit um the the, the again at least the entirety of the consumer population. Um a couple of interesting trends we're seeing going into actual holiday retail is there's sort of like a renaissance of in-store shopping. Um we're seeing like back to like, you know, certainly pre-COVID levels, but almost like, you know, would be would have been surprising going from 2019 to 2020 if the COVID had never happened to see this bit of an uptick. It's being driven a lot by younger consumers who actually like want to go back into a physical store, maybe troll the mall with their malls are back. Yeah, their flannel T-shirt, their flannels wrapped around their waist and their vans, circa 90s. Um, uh, and and, um, and and but what's interesting about it is like when you look when you sort of study why that people are going back into physical stores. Um, it's something about the experience of it, uh, right? It's not that they're deal seeking, right? The the deal seekers are generally, they're finding those deals on the internet. The in, internet's a deflationary retail tool. Um, and, and it's almost as if like, 
this notion of like re revenge travel you hear about revenge experience spending is like playing itself into the store um, space going into the holidays. Like I'm going to love that idea. Yeah. But yeah. by the way, John, I, I mean, and, and, and that's a, you know, uh, John Fagan and Brendan also, uh, you know, because we saw Amazon uh, report, Apple and Amazon reporting is it. So you have this, you know, the, the, the tech route going on, right. Which is like, there's a, you know, the, 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 um, uh, you know, shares of tech companies just getting demolished. Um, Meta slash Facebook at the at the top of that list, especially after after this week. Uh, maybe not the not the you know maybe Snapchat, <laughs> the biggest, yeah. but the most prominent, most important is uh, was Meta. Um, but Amazon, um, uh, th you know, that's interesting, right? Because Am you know Amazon. Um, uh, it's you know uh, its outlook uh, was not as not as strong. And that you know that they you would think that they would be the um the you know the uh, firm that suffers most from return to walk in you know uh brick and mortar shopping, right? It was also a combination of what you mentioned earlier that they ramped up um hiring so much during covid to to meet all that demand that they kind of overdid it, and now things are are normalizing it a, a little bit. <laughs> Anything else? By the way, anything else that that you guys saw from uh, from earnings this week that um, you know for you know sort of more clues on on where things are? Yeah, I think Facebook Meta was entirely self inflicted. That yeah. you know Zuckerberg is obsessed with the you know the the metaverse and spending a huge amount of money on it. But but I think that 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 Amazon you know and and Apple too you know do have macro implications that you know th they're doing fine, but people are just buying a little less. <laughs> Well, I, I think what in our world, watching the consumer, the the one that we paid closest attention to was Google, and you're starting, you're you're beginning to see the real effects of people pulling back and some some marketing and advertising spend. Yeah. That, that was the that and and how you know how prophylactic that is uh, depends on how cynical you are, but it like a lot of a lot of advertisers because we work with a lot of these companies. You know they're they're they've been riding super high profits for a really long time, and you know they're they're better probably better safe than sorry. And they're saying, look, if there are places where we can throttle back a bit, the easiest place to do that is in advertising. Yeah. And that's of course, I think that's what really showed up in in Google's in Google's numbers this week. But is there any question? And I don't know the answer to this. I mean, you know, there there was a there was a very very strong shift for all the same reasons to digital advertising, and I do think that is sort of a you know that's a structural shift that we're going to see going forward for a long, like that's the, that's what we're going to be going forward for a long time. However, you know, in the same way that there was like the shift to you know the interest in streamers and you know paying attention to subscriptions at Netflix and other places and people forgetting about legacy TV, is there legacy advertising that uh, you know shifting back to legacy advertising because you know that there was sort of an over index during COVID to the digital space? Is that some is that something that that we should, that's a consideration? You know, we have to watch. I think it's, you know, so much of that, so much of those big numbers happen during like the upfronts in May, right? And so like so much of the spending that's happening right now on like say television was locked in way earlier in the year. Mm. Uh, it'll be interesting to, to watch things like, you know, Super Bowl spending going into January that like, what are the, what are the ad rates in the Super Bowl? That would be an indicator. Um, you know, there, when, when we look at sort of like local advertising that has been softened a bit, um, uh, 
part of it's because like so much more spending on pop political advertising has moved to the web and social. So it's not landing on like local TV stations the way it might've used to. Although if you spend five seconds on TV, you wouldn't believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's, you know, obnoxious, but um, there's n- not any necessarily any sign. I mean, one of the big things that's going to drive probably a, um, a, call it a correction and ad spending is going to be some of the continued coming of like regulation and digital advertising and privacy. Uh, we're, we're not quite there yet, but that's, that's going to be a, a boon for sort of like the open web and, um, and connected TV and the like, but that's, that's not happening yet. Um, yeah. If, if there, if that spending shift is happening, it's not evident to us yet. Well, well, we're definitely going to be keeping a you know closer eye on that going forward because I think I think there is my this is looks my my gut says there is some misreading of consumers in some ways and that will be you know if you depending on which part of the economy you look like uh, you're you're looking at yeah interpret a, a drop with a shift you know it's actually a shift and not a drop and you know it's a drop in one area and then but a move to dollars in another area and I do think that's a, that should be a lesson learned from COVID. And we should like we should keep learning that lesson. Like all like look for those shifts in spending, not just uh, you know, not just drops in spending. Uh, I mean, we beat our heads against the wall with this all the time with our customers to stop looking at the top line numbers because yeah. they mask they mask so much nuance underneath it. Right? There's they're up lines on a chart are amalgamations of lines going in different directions that happen to average out. Yeah. In that line, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and we get and in earnings season, the way that it comes out, you don't get the big box retailers until way late in earnings season. Yeah. And so we've got kind of one side of the story, right? We've got like yeah. the online and uh and when Walmart, Target, Kohl's, uh, and uh and the like come in later in earnings season, that's gonna give us maybe, you know, the uh the a fuller picture, the other side of the coin, I guess. Right. Well, look at like look at here. I mean, just as maybe a leading indicator of that is like look at McDonald's's earnings. Yep. Um, you know, they killed it. And um, what I think like up six plus percent or something, I forget the exact number, but um, that just says people are still eating out and spending money. They may just be shifting, right? They yeah. might be shifting and, down and market. McDonald's even said that within them because they they raised prices and they were able to do it. But they said that the people at their lower end didn't leave McDonald's. They just shifted what they bought at McDonald's to the the, the cheaper options. Dollar menu kinds of uh, Exactly. Which I mean, means I you could see a lot of shifting to the dollar generals and the um, family dollars and the like. I mean, we started to see that earlier in the year, this sort of just shift down market. Like, I, I'm going to stretch my do- dollar further. I'm not going to not spend it. Yeah. yeah and we were talking about the uh, the McDonald's uh, staffing, the hiring. One of the interesting things, uh, this was noted by someone I was uh, had dinner with last night. Essentially, you know, they had real trouble hiring people during the pandemic and they are not laying people off uh but they're not uh, and even if things are strong they're not really hiring people anyway they've realized that they can get by with you know two-thirds of the labor force yeah that, uh, they automate they work they people are just willing to wait longer in lines yeah it's no kind about of three, mu- three uh, months ago their their trade industry said that they're no longer having staffing issues they've they found an equilib- equilibrium amazing um, well, look, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the people who have to interpret this the most um, to, you know, figure out what to do next from you know, picking up these clues are the central banks right now. Um, you know, we've heard from a couple of them uh, this week. Um, all eyes are on, you know, on uh, on the Fed going forward. Not so much for this next meeting, except for what kind of clues you get from this next meeting. Exactly. Right. Exactly. For uh, for, you know, going forward. But we heard from. 
you know, we heard from um, uh, ECB, we heard from Bank of Canada, which really surprised people. Um, you know, I think that the, you know, the key word that the, the key phrase that we heard, certainly that in, investors, you know, love to hear right now is substantial progress, you know, like the word substantial phrase, substantial progress was used quite a bit. Canada surprising with only a you know 50 basis point um increase and you know signaling slowing of increases. Same the ECB went, uh, you know, Christine Lagarde went uh, you know, 75 basis points. Sounded like, you know, yes, they're gonna, you know, the work isn't done, but she said substantial progress quite a bit. So uh, you know, I know there's debate as to whether to take it, you know, uh, she's letting her foot off the brake a little too early. Uh, or not, but they have you know real growth concerns in Europe. Um, uh, so, what's your, what y'all's you know what, what does this tell us about where the Fed is? I mean, there's so many implications for it for you know currencies. We saw you know you know we saw uh, euro fall back below parity. I think um, you know we're paying attention to the pound also. You know how how are you thinking about what this means for the Fed at this point? It's we've begun to get we got signals uh, over the last couple of weeks that the Fed at least is pondering a, a, a thinking about thinking about, you know, this downshift or a step down or a, you know, essentially a modulation. And uh, an old our old friend and friend of the podcast, Nathan Sheets, was on uh, Bloomberg yesterday. I thought he put it really well. He said the Fed has sort of boxed themselves in because they've created this syllogism. That is, if they're serious about fighting inflation, they have to hike 75 basis points. And 75 basis points may be appropriate at the tightening cycle uh, phase of the summer, where they were really getting going, felt behind the curve. But at some point, and you know, roughly around now, one would think, you know, that is an inappropriate, uh, an inappropriate quantum. Of uh, of tightening when you're getting into some you know significant economic and market uncertainty, there are obviously more balanced risks. These uh, these are not like a bunch of dovish central banks. The ECB has a very you know significant balance between hawks and doves. No one thinks the Bank of Canada is a dovish central bank. Um, we did get the the arch doves at the BOJ overnight uh, holding the line with yield curve control, and they're ultra accommodative. But put that to one side. The, the Reserve Bank of Australia has already stepped yeah. down. More and more are doing that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of commentary that we've been getting from the Fed, uh, you know, San Francisco Fed President Daly has been on the forefront of this. We've heard it from Chicago Fed President Evans. Um, and we've heard uh, Governor Brainerd talking about this as well, you know, this sort of ba- more balanced formulation. And, you know, the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, sort well-sourced uh, tweets a couple of weeks back. Yeah. About- and, and BlackRock economists came out yesterday saying that they expect the the moderation in future uh, rate hikes to show up in the um, in the, uh, the, the, the the statement from uh, the Fed next week. Yeah. But the, the weird thing is, you know, the Fed has shown this over over sort of like the July to September uh, time period that sort of you know the shift from balanced Fed to ultra hawkish Fed shows some sort of determination to you know send a, a really tough message to the market and just when everybody thinks they're going to pivot that's that's the reason they're not going to pivot and yeah. you know that's the kind of that's the kind of you know a, a little bit of uh, 
you know, non-fundamentally based decision-making that has sort of tripped up financial markets, it's really hard to take a look. I think that the other central banks have put it pretty well. You know, substantial progress has been made in tightening. Substantial progress has been made. Uh, you know, that progress has been made on the uh, on the inflation. The fight's not over. But, uh, you know, you somehow have to figure out how to go from 75 to 50 without engineering a massive loosening in financial conditions. Well, the earnings season is here to help you, right? Yeah. If earnings season, if if earnings were great and corporations were coming out and saying, you know, things are fantastic and and you know, we've got a great outlook and that sort of thing, well, you'd have a much, you know, a much more forceful rally potentially going into this pivot. Now you've got like the the up the potential upside impetus for risk assets versus these pretty clearly deteriorating fundamentals, which I think takes some of the risk of this like, you know, big rally that the Fed seems to be terrified of, of, uh, of stoking with a, uh, with a step down as coming in through this uh, end of this year. Hey guys, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Um, <laughs> like given all this, uh, the mixed signals out there, like, and maybe we'll never know cause it's too late, but is that, is there like possibility of how much we're like just talking ourselves into all of this. I mean, given sort of how unprecedented the circumstances are, I mean, I just, I just added the word um, transitory to my vocabulary about a year and a half ago. And that, that turned out not to be the right, you know, not to be right. Like what makes us so certain everybody's right now? Like it's, it's transitory, it's transitory in the, you know, I mean, in a, I mean, it's just, you know, every, everything is about timer. You need to like stand your <laughs> exactly. yes. Sure. The transitory. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, the well, Great Depression was transitory too, right? Yeah, right. Of course. I mean, it's all cyclical, but I mean, like at this point in time, I don't know. It's just sort of right now. I, but, but, look, John, we met. You know, you you and I built the ESI eleven years ago. Yes, because we think sentiment matters, and I so yeah. I do think sentiment matters, and it does the way people feel about things. Uh, often, not always, but often influences their uh, their spending decisions. But we've seen in recent years divergence between the way people feel about things and what they actually do. And, you know, and with healthy balance sheets, they may think, well, other people are going to have a tough time, but I seem to be still having a pretty good time. I do think in this case, I don't I don't know if we're talking ourselves into recession. People I do think I do hear people talking about recessions off into the horizon. So talking about a recession in 2023 which a lot of respected people, the people who I really respect are, you know, they saying these things. And I just say, well, there are things that you can do today to prevent yeah. a recession in 23, maybe things that some things you, you know, that, uh, the things that you can't do, but it is far enough ahead that you should be able to do some things and moderate, um, you know, like in the case of central banks, you know, right. Financial conditions are tight. That was the intention. They're definitely having an impact. We see it in the real economy in very, you know, clear ways. Um, they can moderate from yep. that. And to me, the question is the timing of it and when they do it. And then, and then how much confidence is it that the the moderation will stick around for a while so that um uh, people will have you know a little bit more a, a sense of confidence about what the future looks like. Yeah. And to just look at the outlook through the market lens alone, it's screaming recession. I mean, it couldn't be more clear. Like, if the 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 most the most dependable relate uh, re uh, recession indicator is, of course, inversion of the Treasury yield curve, where short end rates are above 
longer end rates and whatever part of the, even if you're like, look, you get given yourself an easier, like three month, 10 year, that's inverted too. Yeah. It would be, it has been for a long time. It has now. been for a long time. It would, and you know, stocks are down like the NASDAQ is down like 30%. This is very like recessionary kind of the, the dollar is at a two decade high, which is well, explain, stuffing explain out of companies. Why, why, I mean, we talked about inverted yield curve for a couple, but why is a, why is an inverted yield curve signal a, a recession? Well, there's on one side, it is it reflects expectations that interest rates in the near term are going to roll over and fall and that on a going forward basis. So the further out the curve you go, interest rates are seen trending downward, which suggests that this, you know, the policy driven front end of the Treasury yield curve, which really is very much like two year yields are very much keyed into like near term. Fed rate hike expectations mm-hmm. or Fed rate expectation. The back end of the yield curve is much more about growth and inflation expectations over the medium to longer term. It's not ten, you know, it's not ten years out uh, if if you're looking at the ten year. So that curve itself is showing you expectations are for the Fed to ease. And if you look at Fed fund futures, the expectation is indeed for the Fed to start cutting rates uh, in the middle or toward the end of next year. Uh, amid a amid a recession, there's also the argument that an inverted yield curve can can even cause a recession because it creates a dynamic in which banks are borrowing short and yeah. lending long. It's less profitable for them to make loans yeah. in that in that yield curve formulation, and so they pull back lending. And then, of course, it's the sentiment aspect. Everybody in you know financial markets, it's become pretty well known that that's a reflation. Uh, that's a reflation signal, and uh, and they behave accordingly. Yeah, but Tony, one thing that I mean, maybe the talking might talking ourselves into a piece. I'm thinking a lot about it from the consumer because we have definitely watched this happen with the ESI over the last 11 years. Is it's in some ways almost now a bit of a lagging indicator in the following respect: is when we dig a level beneath members and look at things like, say, like the party affiliation of our respondents, like Republicans right now have a significantly worse view of the economy than Democrats do. Part of that, part of that's always been true because sort of the, the it's, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, function of like the confidence they have in the people in power to steer the economy. But that, that has widened even more in the last year and a half. It feels like the economic news has been so heavily weaponized in the political sphere that you know people are people are having economic news put in front of them that maybe they weren't quite digesting as much before. So um, you know, if if consumers are told, oh my gosh, a recession is coming, a recession is coming, that impacts their consumer confidence. And the question is, is will it actually affect their spending behavior? And, and I guess we'll know that at the end of the holidays. Indeed. Yeah. Um, were, were you surprised at all, uh, guys, about, uh, you know, just th- especially thinking about uh, Europe and the ECB right now, uh, about, you know, where uh, where ECB came out, um, given we, what, we, what the, the complex situation they're dealing with? We've been taking the under on central bank uh, rate hikes from here. And the ECB was, you know, in focus because of the fragility of let's say Italian bond markets, the you know the the peripheral bond market, uh, they're much more difficult balance with uh, the energy price increases, a much more stagflationary dynamic, less economic vibrancy to begin with. Uh, it's it's a real you know Pandora's box that they're that they're <laughs> grappling with over there, and so you know having getting the letting the hawks have their day with two seventy five basis point hikes in a row, I think is uh, allows 
President Lagarde to do what she did, which is to basically take quantitative tightening, which is uh, like future rate hikes and like cover those with ambiguity, two sided risk, you know, data dependence, that sort of stuff and take quantitative tightening and throw it further into the future, which was that the, the prospect of that was giving some heartburn to uh, the peripheral bond markets and Italian, but particularly with the new Italian government saying a bunch of different things about how they're going to orient themselves to the, uh, to the fiscal policy and so forth. There was a lot of uncertainty there. And so it seems like she's, you know, given the Hawks enough of what they want, and now she can begin to create this better balance and risk manage their tightening cycle. And that's really what it's about. It's about risk managing the tightening cycle um, and doing things that are not going to thwart you. Because if you tighten too much and do, you know, and, and if you start up quantitative tightening and upset the Italian bond market, then guess what? You have to stop tightening <laughs> or yeah. like increasingly have this Bank of England contradictory price uh, a monetary uh, response where you're tightening with one hand and loosening with the other to try to keep things from sliding off. Very suboptimal. So I think that the Fed, you know, hopefully is taking a lesson from this, that risk management at this stage of the tightening cycle is important. And if they can't communicate effectively with the market that yeah. going from 75 to 50 basis points is, you know, not a loosening <laughs> and, and isn't going to, uh, you know, create some sort of untoward loosening of financial conditions. If they can't communicate that, then then maybe maybe they should maybe they should look in the mirror. And, no, you're right. And I thought Lagarde's press conference was a masterclass in how to to communicate that to, to the markets. And uh, hopefully Powell was uh, taking close notes. Yes, yeah, I thought she did, I thought she did a good job with it. Truthfully, yeah, maybe they should consult with some communications experts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, they, they could they, they could for maybe a week or two, guys. I think as you, you know, we've announced publicly um, earlier this week uh, that I'll be leaving the uh, I'll be leaving uh, the, the the you know Penta World, the Penta Universe, um, to join Goldman Sachs, which means that uh, I'll be. Which leaving. means that you actually will be the spokesman for the Fed, because that's what all Wall Street believes. <laughs> 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 um yeah that was mine that's my news this week that I've, i'll be uh i'll be leaving to uh the firm i you know founded and uh you know the place i love very much but going to goldman to be a uh, global head of uh, uh corporate communications there so i'm you know re really excited about it's a great opportunity and an uh uh incredible you know bank uh that so you know, just uh, re really looking forward to it. But bittersweet to be to be leaving both my firm and, but I'll be leaving this, um, you know, the macro cast as well. Um, and so, uh, so that's sad. There'll be more to come on, um, you know, on, on where it's going. It's not going away. If anybody's wondering, that's not in the cards at all. Um, it's not not dependent on me uh, by any by any stretch. So, though you are irreplaceable, and we can't thank you enough for really uh, for giving us the chance to do this podcast with you, which has been so much fun, and uh, we've learned a lot, and uh, and had some had some. I think I hope some insightful discussions over the years. <laughs> but congratulations on your new chapter. It's truly exciting, and the legacy that you built at Penta and the fantastic team. It really is just a testament to. The, the the hard work and uh, the just the the management capabilities that you brought to you know when you started it was it 2009 2008 yeah. you know sailing no. into a hurricane and uh, and you've really built built something 
very special and uh, and it really shows through in the in the people that you have at Penta. So uh, congratulations, Tony. Thanks, yeah. John. I, I, I appreciate it. Oh, go ahead, John Dick. I said, I'm not I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> uh, well, we'll we'll do. I, I'll, I still have, uh, I think, two shows left in me. So uh, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll have more to say. I'll say a final goodbye at, at the on my last show. But uh, but it, it has been you guys know this. Uh, but just an enormous joy for me to do this podcast. And, um, and it's in some, you know, uh, many, many weeks, the favorite part of my week was, you know, Friday morning, um, you know, getting on with you guys to talk about what's going on in the world and the economy. And it's always been just, you know, terrific discussion. So uh, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a couple more of these and then, uh, and then say our goodbyes, but um uh, but to our listeners, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Really great. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Jobs Day. Uh, so really, really big, uh, uh, big show next week. Um, thanks for joining the Macrocast. On the first Friday of every month, Penta analyzes the latest jobs and labor market data in a digestible format. Sign up for our reports at pentagroup.co or on Twitter at PentaGRP. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.